and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we have a special edition of the podcast. I've been doing these fantasy files day in, day out throughout the summer, and technically this is another part of my 100 podcasts, 100 articles, 100-day series. But damn it, people, it's week one of the preseason. We need more than just 10 to 15 minutes to talk about that. And because of this, I brought in a very special guest, one that you all already know, but you're going to be hearing a lot more of him because he has been kind enough to sign on with the company we know and love called Pro Football Focus full-time. He is Dwayne The Rock McFarland. You might know him on Twitter, Context Matters. Dwayne, happy football being back, man. And, you know, happy to have you in the freaking company, man. Let's go. Man, thank you. Your uh, energy is always infectious, uh, <laughs> as usual. <laughs> but no, man, I'm, I'm so stoked. I can't, uh, I can't even really put it into words still. It's funny. It's like, even though I've been doing it since last Thursday, um, it's still like, I mean, I don't know if you went through this, but like, you just have this moment where you're like, I, I wake up every morning and I write about football and I study football and then I do it again. And it's kind of like, really, I get paid for this. Like, <laughs> I'm just kind of, it's, it's pretty crazy, man. I absolutely love it. And yeah, with that, uh, uh, infectious, uh, energy that you just mentioned. I did want to quickly apologize. Someone pointed out that sometimes I get a little too excited. I start banging the table and I hear that is very annoying for you listeners at home and in your car. So my bad, I'll chill out a little bit with the hands uh, I got going on here, but not so much with the, you know, keeping that energy going. Cause I am excited people. We got a lot to talk about. I have gone back and watched all 16 of the preseason games from week one. Dwayne has checked out plenty of them and dove more deep into the statistics than just about anyone out there. As a lot of you probably know, Dwayne does a weekly utilization report, one of the best pieces of football content on the internet, and was kind enough to supply us his usual utilization report with the preseason. So, you know, we talked about this, but preseason doesn't matter in that we don't care if, you know, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster drops a pass. Like the actual plays that happen don't necessarily matter. The first team usage matters because these PR intern-inspired def charts we got were the closest thing we had to actual signs of playing time. Now we have first team usage in the preseason. So we'll still talk about how guys played to a small extent. Just realized the heavy majority of our reasoning behind much of what we're going to talk about. Again, it comes down in that first team usage. So Dwayne, we're going to go back and forth and just you know, talk about whatever the hell we can talk about for the next hour, because I know we both have a lot of things to get off our chest here. So why don't you kick us off with one of your top takeaways from last week? Yeah, a big one for me is just really around Rondell Moore. Ian, I know you had a chance to, to get a look at him, but I was just in love with everything they were doing with him. Um, number one, just like you talked about the utilization, he played 20 of the 22 snaps for the starters. You could technically say he was 16 of 18, like if you want to count the time, like the offensive line left, since Colt McCoy isn't technically like the starting quarterback, but he was for this game. But I just counted when he and McCoy were in the game together, he played 20 of 22 snaps, including 13 from the slot position. And man, they were just manufacturing touches like right out of the gate for him. And, you know, giving him the screen pass, um, he finished with four targets, three receptions, 23 yards, two rushing attempts for 16 yards. Like you said, like we're not as worried about the production, but just how often he was on the field, he was lining up outside and 12 personnel. Um, that could have been because Christian Kirk was basically done for the day. It was kind of in the middle of that drive. All of a sudden Kirk didn't play anymore. And the next play they went to 12 personnel and it was actually Rondell Moore out there and not Christian Kirk, or it could be that they actually like Rondell Moore out, outside. So I'm really excited to look at that more next week. Um, hopefully we'll get some more tells there. Hopefully we get, we get Hopkins in the game. We get AJ green in the grain in the game and we can tell more about the offense. But right now, man, I feel like, 
Rondell Moore with all the rookies that have been screaming up the boards. Like he's one of the ones that's kind of lagging behind and he might be one of the ones we should be the most excited about because I feel like there is a path and I, I love your thoughts on it, Ian, but I feel like there is a path that he's potentially the number two target on this team. I mean, we know D hops, the number one, he's locked solid. We, we all love Christian Kirk, right? We all want Christian Kirk to Kirk to succeed. I mean, we've liked him for a long time. AJ green, you know, look, he's an OG. Like we want to see him have success, but I just feel like there's this opportunity. It could just be spread out across all those guys after D hop. But I feel like there is this chance based on the way they want to spread the field that really Rondell Moore becomes like the number two and the explosive upside is what I love. So my only concern when they got Rondale was basically Cliff Kingsbury because the prospect and everything about Rondale, we love. Just get the guy at the ball in space and he's going to make plays. And even the kind of, you know, concerns that came out of the draft, like is he going to be used more as just like Darren Sproles-esque like running back? That's not even bad in full point per reception scoring if we can get a team just willing to feed him that allotment of touches. You know, quotes from Cliff about Hopkins, uh, you know, about obviously Hopkins is the one, but A.J. Green being the cemented too that's what concerned me this was great though man because one thing that stuck out to me when cliff and kyler actually got started together was how after the first four or five weeks cliff brought up how he didn't want to show anything in the preseason originally and because of that they felt really behind the eight ball they didn't even know what they were good and bad at until the first four or five weeks of the year were done that's why you know kyler and company got off to kind of a Slightly rough start in his rookie year. The fact that in 30 minutes of action, they already got Rondale two design rush attempts, man. They are going to love design this dude the ball. He had five first half touches. I swear, watching it, man, they felt like 15. Like, I just love the way they were consistently... Moving him around the formation, get him the ball, and just easy looks. Like, I see some people saying it's a negative that all of his targets were coming so close to the line of scrimmage. And it's like, yeah, I want him to get some air yards as well. They did throw him one deep shot, wasn't able to come down with it. But honestly, like, those are going to be easier, more consistent touches for us to rely on on a week-to-week basis. So if we're able to get five to six as short-designed touches, like, we don't really see that. That's almost like a running back's uh, workload in terms of just being able to really guarantee those targets. Targets are going to be caught more times than not. So I've already been bumping him a lot up, man. I think just even if it's still tough to rank him like super high inside your top 50 or even like top 60, I'm not saying people need to go too overboard with it. At a minimum, man, some of the best ball drafts that, you know, I'm still getting, you know, notifications throughout the day like, hey, your time to pick at value, man. I'm all over Rondale Moore now because, again, we have now seen the evidence that we needed that Cliff is not treating him like Isabella, not treating him like Christian Kirk. They want to go out of their way to get him the ball. And when someone is as explosive as Rondale Moore is, Dwayne, that's a beautiful sight to see. Yeah, absolutely. I just think he's pushing his way up towards like Elijah Moore, Darnell Mooney, Jalen Waddle. Like right now, he's I've got him one tier below those, but I have yeah. no problem like pulling the trigger on him really quick. There's now a realistic argument, I think, to put him in that tier. Absolutely. I agree. Okay. I'm going to go a little negative now. We had the RB dead zone claim not one, but two victims. We'll talk about both these guys. First, let's go Michael Carter, someone that I understood all the pre-draft hype about in terms of the prospects, seeing the things he did at North Carolina. We were looking at a theoretical three down back. I guess the only thing, the reason why I had Carter RB 38 before the weekend, I still have him RB 38. I never got the top. 25 top 28 treatment because we never knew what this committee was going to look like even if carters is still the projected lead back when it's all said and done which is iffy you're going off on a little bit of a limb there 
We didn't know if it was going to be Christian McCaffrey lead back or Tampa Bay Buccaneers lead back where the you know top running back is playing 40% of the offensive snaps. It's looking more like the latter at the moment. For those that didn't check it out, Tevin Coleman was out of the game due to personal reasons. Ty Johnson led the way with the first team uh, starters, 13 snaps compared to Michael Carter getting nine. I would expect Tevin to be the starter if he's out there. Either way, this is a situation that seems to be screaming multi-back committee, which isn't the end of the world. We just need to correct to Michael Carter's ADP, which again, I think should have been probably closer to that RB3 borderline all along. So to me, man, I'm not like overly freaked out about Carter. I was not getting him on any of my teams because I just thought he was going too high. I think maybe though, if the public really freaks out about this and bumps him down, then we can get back to drafting him. Because again, top 30, far too steep, but we see plenty of rookies take a while to get the job anyway. It's not shocking to me he wasn't out there early and often, but yeah, people, if you have, if you're really on this Michael Carter hype train, I think at a minimum, Dwayne, we got to take a nice big step back. Yeah, I've been approaching him a similar way. It's interesting. I thought like when drafting season started, which for like degenerate people like us that think about this all the time was like three months ago, <laughs> that I would own a lot more Michael Carter, um, but I don't. Um, but I think now is the time if his ADP continued, his ADP had already started to push down just because receivers were going up, you know, and a lot of different formats and it wasn't really necessarily him, but the receivers ascending, um, because of all of the zero, you know, RB truthers out there, you know, helping, helping keep that torch alive. They are everywhere. I love them. <laughs> and, um, so Carter had been pushed down. I got a little bit of exposure due to that. Um, so I, I like that he's been getting discounted for that. And I think now you are going to see his ADP drop some more. And that's honestly, I think now is the time to buy him, buy him to your point, more like an RB four is really the way I would like to treat him. Um, I mean, I could take him as an R as an RB three with some upside. Um, but we do know this is a situation where they're very willing to mix it up. If you looked at the game overall, 58% of the rushing attempts, to Ty Johnson, 42% for Michael Carter. This is with the starters, 60% of the routes to Ty Johnson, 30% to Carter. Um, then you had short down and distance snaps, hundred percent to Ty Johnson, hundred percent of the long down and distance snaps to Ty Johnson as well. And then just third downs overall, 80% to Ty Johnson. And that was the one that was a little concerning is we'd heard a lot out of camp about Carter really being, you know, someone that was going to be more involved in the passing game, but we know that's something that Ty Johnson is really good at as well. And so I'm with you. I think Tevin Coleman probably comes in as the first and second down back. And what I was hoping was really Carter was going to be in this Ty Johnson role we're seeing. And then Ty Johnson would just mix in every once in a while, right. As this receiving back right now, it seems to be the opposite. What I would say is I still like him. Like I said, like if you can get him in like right now, or as of, uh, I, I didn't check his ADP today. Actually, I could do it real quick. I'm going to look at underdog because they update their stuff all the time real quick while we're talking. Sure. Um, but I'm looking for him. He is sitting at 84.9. When I wrote my article last Friday, he was 84.3. So he hasn't really moved down. And, and they update this. I believe they refresh this every two days on underdog. So he hasn't really hit his ADP yet. Um, but yeah, I, I like him as an RB4. I'd rather take him in the ninth round, right? That type of thing versus trying to force it. You know, I'm definitely not pulling the trigger on him in the seventh round or anything like that. Yeah, I got him just from updating my records today down in the 110 spot. So it's not the okay. end of yeah. the world, everybody, but certainly does need to be adjusted. Same thing going on in Miami. All the stars seem to be aligning for Miles Gaskin to function as a Dolphins three-down starter. Uh, our poor PFF colleague Kent went out, and I think the day before the game was even saying Gaskin could be a league winner. And I'm not, I'm not here to you know shit on Kent. It's if you looked at all the offseason moves, they did not draft a running back. All they added was Malcolm Brown. 
around someone that is fine, but not anyone, especially considering the money they gave him. Nobody that we just assumed would be starting out of the gate. Not so fast, my friend. That happened to be the absolute case. Like, man, like, what are Dolphins? Like, why, why is this catching everyone by surprise, man? The Dolphins beat writers have seen this now for a month, and we just find out about it now. So it is what it is. Either way, Malcolm Brown out snaps Gaskin 16 to 7 with Tua under center. Also saw Salvin Ahmed come in, catch a touchdown. Just, you know, not. I don't think Salvin Ackman is a special talent, but he's good enough, and the Dolphins think he's good enough to make this seemingly a three-back committee. Brian Flores, head coach, basically told us that afterwards they asked him about the committee, and this was Brian Flores' quote. We were going to use them situationally as best fits their skill set and what's best for the team. Miles Gaskin can play first, second, third down, but depending on the situation, we may put another player in there. Malcolm Brown's a little bigger, what you may consider a power back. Miles is change of pace, good quickness. Salvin Ackman has good speed coming out of the backfield. They all played well in the preseason game. Damn it, Brian, that's fine for your team. It's not good for our fantasy football rosters. So, man, to me, I've already bumped down Gaskin. I put him actually one spot uh, behind Carter, so they're both now in that RB4 range. Bumped up Malcolm Brown, you know, from basically nothing to RB48. Uh, so I do think he gives you a little bit of value on the back end. But, Dwayne, it's starting to look like the answer to which back to draft here might just be no. Yeah, I think the answer is just no for me right now because I just I don't I don't trust it. Period. Even if we think it starts to establish, you know, a pattern, um, we've dealt with this for years with New England. Like this comes from the New England coaching tree. We've seen this um, creep over into other teams as people leave from Bill Belichick. Um, there's something that he, you know, is injecting into these coaches to where like <laughs> when they leave, they have to do this. I don't know what it is. Um, maybe it's they just don't want to depend on anyone back. I have no clue. But they're very much all the same. That each you know, back has this very specific kind of role. Right. And, and so we've seen it over and over. I'm with you. It's just time to hit the brakes. Um, I, I had really been staying away from Gaskin up to this point, And now I'm just really thankful that I did. I think I only own one share. Thank God. <laughs> um, but I'm with you. He's got to move down for me. He now lands down in the tier with the likes of, you know, the, uh, you know, and I would even have, he, he would be in this tier, but below these guys, right. Melvin Gordon, James Connor, Jamal yep. Williams, Kenyon Drakes. He's down there with those guys. Now I still think he's the most talented back on the roster. So I don't want to just totally like deprive him of, you know, ever being able to be drafted. Um, but yeah, he, he deserves to be a good four to five rounds off of where he's been going in some of these drafts. For sure. Oh my gosh. I'm devastated. Hey, well, As I'm, the Dolphins. Yeah. You got to hit Tua, man. Like we got to get Tua. What, what, what'd you think? We got to get to Tua. <laughs> What, what did you think? And I know you watched the tape. Like I, I'm, you know, I did watch some of it last night. My wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm watching football. She's like, why? I'm like, it's my job. I have to, <laughs> you know, she's like, can you turn it down and do it on you? I'm like, yes, I can do that. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, draw, I'll pump, put the AirPods in. First of all, I am slightly devastated because I just realized as I pulled up my rankings, I forgot to hit save when I did a ton of updating this morning. So that's oh. more work for me to deal with later. With that said, I thought Tua looked pretty dang good, man. I mean, the deep ball we got to Jasicki, I thought, was put on the money. You know, the interception was him trying to force into a window he probably shouldn't have been. But really, we just saw someone that looked more aggressive. I thought he looked, you know, 
healthier. He wasn't exactly running out there a ton, but more than anything, man, like it just seemed like the next step in what's been a pretty good offseason for him. So still didn't have Will Fuller out there. There was no Parker. They had Jalen Waddle playing a lot, but unfortunately didn't find a way uh, to get him any design touches. Uh, but it's been good, man. I found myself uh, getting a ton recently. Fuller, uh, Waddle, Tua stacks because it's like one of the easiest ones you can make in terms of draft capital uh, when we're talking mid-late round uh, just options. So Tua, pleasantly surprised Surprise, someone that I think, you know, in that later QB2 range, you know, with guys like Darnold, Wentz, Wilson, uh, Daniel Jones. I've been leaning towards Tua, all of them. I still don't think he's someone, you know, if, if you're in a one quarterback usual league with 10 of your friends, probably don't need to grab Tua. At a minimum, though, I think we're looking at someone where he does have more of a spike week potential this year. Thanks to those offensive upgrades we were just talking about. Yeah, like I took the pick like as a positive thing because I felt like last year that's what he was, you know, afraid of. And so he had another aggressive throw too that could have been picked off um, that he really fit into tight coverage to a tight end. I think it was actually actually to Giuseppe as well on more like a hook route um, or a comeback route like in the middle of the field. Um, but I'm, I've got to a, in my Trey Lance, Justin Fields tier. Like he doesn't have the legs those guys have but I just believe that he does present the upside. Look, he's a high first round draft pick. They've surrounded him. They've added Will Fuller. They've added Waddle. You've already got Parker who's underrated. Just think he's not on the field enough, but he showed us clearly what he can do. He can be a mismatched player. I just feel like all things point to, you know, to a having a lot more upside than we have. I would rather draft him than Baker, Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, Ooh. Derek Carr, Zach Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger. I would draft him over all of those players. I'm not saying you don't, to your point, you made a really good point. Like you probably want to pair Tua with somebody. You, you don't want to be going in the season with just Tua. Yeah. But I do believe if if the price gets too expensive on Trey Lance, which it's already getting there, by the way, True. like it's we're getting into the tenth and ninth round of these drafts now where Trey Lance is going. So he's 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 getting pricey where there's still really good options left. So then I'm like, okay, I'm pivoting to Fields, and if Fields rises up, well at that point, you know, I, I will definitely own more Tua. The thing I like about Tua right now is he's basically free. Um, you know, you can get him around pick 145 right now on underdog and people just aren't responding to what they're seeing with their eyeballs um and and what they've done around him. I think, you know, the I think there's a market inefficiency right now on Tua. Man, I can barely go more than a day without screaming at people to draft Waddle where he's going as floor. And the quarterback's the same uh, picture. You know, I that's how I kind of got on Kirk Cousins uh, in the beginning. It's not, you know, everyone on the Dolphins offense is priced down, but we like Fuller. We like, I like Waddle. And I think even even if Parker isn't someone people are signing up to, you know, buy in fantasy land, he's still, you know, if he's their third worst receiver or third best receiver on offense, that's fine. So Tua, with all these pieces around, you know, when the sum of all the pieces starts adding up high than your quarterback, you guys start to wonder, hey, maybe we should be higher on that quarterback as well. Great point there, Dwayne. Let's talk one more running back, and it's not... All right, we got to talk about what happened in the game, and we also got to talk about what happened today because we got some really great first-team usage from Antonio Gibson in terms of knowing what's on the way. And, Joanne, you can talk more about this and utilization. But basically, his role doesn't look all that different, but hold your horses, everybody. Backup quarterback Kyle Allen came out today and said that Washington, well, they kind of look like Antonio Gibson as their version of Christian McCaffrey, and he could be playing that role. Now Twitter's losing their mind. People are saying, I've always been on it. Antonio Gibson. This is why we need to draft him inside the top five, even though we just saw a lot of first team uses that maybe doesn't quite suggest that. So Dwayne, let's tell the folks that while Antonio Gibson is awesome, he deserves to have that three down role might not exactly be on the table this year. 
Yeah. And I, I think you're nailing it. Um, and I don't believe crap like that from most players, <laughs> you know, that's like, I, there are certain things I listen for with players like around technique and, 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 you know, if they've got a teammate that maybe last year struggled and we know they couldn't beat press coverage. And then all of a sudden you hear one of their teammates that, you know, knows how to beat press coverage. And they're talking about all the work they put in and how they've got all these different releases like that. I listen to, but like what I just heard from that was like, felt like it's just a hype piece is what it feels like. And, and they're just like fantasy owners. Like everybody on that team sees Antonio Gibson and they realize he could probably be like Christian McCaffrey, but the coaches have to agree. And so far we just haven't seen that. And I think the problem Gibson runs in in, as a third distance back, he's a mismatch. As good Antonio Gibson is at those situations, the bottom line is when you are in third down and eight, it's not like teams think because you keep Antonio Gibson on the field, you're going to run. There's no, it's people talk about this all the time. If you just use the one back, well then, you know, you don't have a tell that only works if you're in a situation where the team is still guessing that you could be running or passing. Right. And that only works on certain downs and distances. Once you get into the longer down distance, they don't care who you line up back there. They're blitzing you. If it's third down, they're going man coverage and they're going to blitz. And so that's when you need a guy like McKissick that can run, you know, can, can quickly get out of the back field be a mismatch on a linebacker and it's not that gibson can't but mckissick is just as good at it yeah. and so really you need him to be gone the thing that i hated the most about this past weekend ian the grave of peyton barber oh he's back it's, he has risen yeah yeah <laughs> he's risen man it's he, it, it he got he sniped the long short down a distance i thought this was over last year towards the end of the year they basically let Barber fade into oblivion, even in the playoffs with Gibson playing with a hurt toe. Like they just didn't use Barber anymore. And then I, I know a lot of people are like, oh man, you're just reading too much. Well, I'm like, why didn't they just wait? Why didn't they just let Gibson have that carry and just let Barber come in with, you know, the third team or whatever? Well, they got to get Barber. If they just want to get Barber snaps in the game, they could have done it at any time. I thought it was very interesting that they chose to do that because that's what they did for the first eight weeks of last year. And so for now, I have been justifying a Gibson as a second round picky and thinking, look, if he can just, he, he can handle 65 to 70% of the rushing attempts, basically that's a Jonathan Taylor type role. Doesn't have as good of an offensive line, probably going to be limited in the passing game, just like we think about Jonathan Taylor, but still an explosive player. So in my mind, and maybe this was just me, you know, trying to find ways to draft Antonio Gibson. My thought was, look, I'm basically getting like an arbitrage play on Jonathan Taylor. You know, I get him five to six picks after Jonathan Taylor and earlier in the season, you know, you're getting him full round discount versus Jonathan Taylor. Well, now Gibson's climbing up draft boards and we have more uncertainty about his role. So yeah, I, I just struggle. I'm not going to take him over guys like Calvin Ridley. I'm probably not going to take him over DK Metcalf. There's just receivers that go in those ranges where I feel great about what their role is. And I don't feel like I need to take on the additional risk of Antonio Gibson. He's still in my top 14, which ends with Clyde Edwards Lair as running backs. I'm comfortable taking in the top two uh, early portions of the third round for sure. I don't necessarily spy, you know, the top five, top six hype though. I mean, it's on the table, but it's on the table for all these guys if they get perfect usage. <laughs> and that's kind of the issue we're running into. So I, you were the first one I think I saw point out that his, you know, his, 
usage is actually way more similar to Jonathan Taylor and even Nick Chubb than we give it credit for. Probably because we know Gibson, the converted collegiate wide receiver, can be a much better pass catcher than the opportunities they've been giving him. And I would even agree that Gibson just has a better chance of getting that, you know, three down roll we want all these backs to have compared to Nick Chubb, who's got to beat out Kareem Hunt, who I don't think is going anywhere, and Jonathan Taylor, who has Naeem Hines there in the pass down roll. So I don't disagree with that idea, but it's also just not looking particularly likely, especially now that J.D. McKissick just kicks rocks and is completely relegated out of the game plan. So for me, I have Gibson, RB11, Chubb, RB12, Taylor, RB13, one after another. I understand Gibson has that more hype, but hey, he still doesn't have that pass down role that Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, that all these guys already have to begin with. So Gibson, it's just one of those things where, yeah, we should consider all the you know potential ranges of outcome for the guy, but the most likely one people is what happened last year which is good but it's not top five good yeah it's funny you bring up harris it's can you remember the last time a rookie running back that went in the first round of the nfl draft was about to get all the touches and people just didn't want to buy it (laughs) i feel like i feel like it's so hard to sell Najee harris right now and it's like baffling me i i get it he's not he he didn't he didn't blow off the charts like an explosiveness but you and i both know the utilization like is 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 the foundation right you need to be talented on top of that fantasy performance is, is where you know efficiency and opportunity meet we, we both agree on that but at the end of the day for a running back the the touches have to be there first right and so i i just find it kind of baffling that, that there's so many people that are like yeah but now she's got a terrible offensive line but yeah now she's got this or yeah now she's got them like and then people even will come back, you know, on Twitter and say, yeah, 400 carries or 400 touches for, you know, 1400 yards. And I'm like, you're saying that like, it's a bad thing. Like, <laughs> what if that is what happened? Like, that would be awesome. That would, we would be good with that. I mean, as the end of a second round pick, it's funny though. People want to act like he has zero upside. Why does he have zero upside? Is he young running back? We still don't know everything about this offense. They've changed their scheme. They're not using the power running scheme as much. They're using more of a wide zone, which we've seen fantasy offensive lines. Kyle Shanahan shown us this. Sean McVay has shown us this, that you can get more sometimes out of less with some of these offensive lines by switching up and doing something different. And, and the wide zone offers that opportunity. So I, I don't get I don't get why Najee Harris is is falling down boards. Normally in a in a in a regular fantasy environment, like seeing what we've seen from Najee Harris, he would be screaming up boards. I think he should be going in the early second round to mid second round. So I sent a tweet out last week basically echoing what you were just talking about, where I just listed the top 15 ADPRBs in the PFF offensive line ranking. And yes, Najee and the Steelers, unfortunately, they're coming in at 31st. We also have Joe Mixon coming in at 25th, Saquon Barkley 32nd. I'm sure you've heard all about these guys' offensive line rankings throughout the offseason. Nobody seems to care about Christian McCaffrey having the 30th ranked offensive line or Dalvin Cook at 27th. I start going back and forth with some of my Twitter followers who I appreciate. Appreciate. I don't want people to agree with everything I say. Let's just be civil. We're talking about freaking fantasy football. No need to start saying bad names and stuff. But anyway, someone basically responds, um, yeah, Mixon's overhyped. He'll be top 12, but only because of absurd, inefficient volume. I'm like, that's the point. I'm not even trying to say <laughs> Najee or Mixon are going to make the most out of their touches. I'm just trying to say they're going to have potentially 100 more touches than some of these guys people are taking ahead of them. And for someone like Najee especially, 
man. We just don't need to worry about that as much because he has a chance to catch 50, 60 plus balls without too much of an issue. So if we were looking at Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb and they had the 30th ranked offensive line, that'd be a problem. But for these guys that can catch the ball, it just doesn't matter as much. Le'Veon Bell had 15 carries for six yards against the Steelers in week one last year. Not Le'Veon, Saquon Barkley. Where's my head at? Anyway, Saquon, six yards on 15 carries. Finishes as the RB23 on the week because he also caught six passes for 60 yards. It doesn't make sense how much fantasy football rewards running backs that catch passes. It's the game we play. Najee Harris is going to catch all of them. 86% snaps with the starters through the first two games. Man, you know, right now we're projecting him to have the eighth most overall touches among running backs. Where do you have him specifically in the running back echelon? Yeah, I've got I've got him in the third tier, but I've got him ranked number eleven. Okay. Um, so yeah. I mean, I have him in the same tier with Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, Antonio Gibson, and Clyde Edwards-Helaire. And the tier above them, I've got Henry, Elliott, Barkley, Eckler, and Mixon. Um, so I mean, I I love him, and I'm gonna own him quite a bit. <laughs> All right, Dwayne, let's talk about, in my opinion, one of the best running back performances of the week. This guy is an established starter after what we saw. And, you know, we've seen counting you know, playoff games of speed. This guy, we have seen evidence in recent years of him taking over games. And this last week really drives it home for me. Of course, I'm talking about Raheem Mostert, who rested because <laughs> he is Kyle Shanahan's starting running back and they don't want him to get banged up right now. So as great as Trey Sermon playing ahead of Wayne Gallman was, once again, man, I'm I, Sermon's so weird. Like I feel like because him being an Ohio State back and stuff, I should be on the front lines of the hype, but I can't get there because I just continue to see all these signs that should be pointing towards Raheem Mostert and people pretending that it's a positive for Sermon. And I'm not even out on Sermon. I think both running backs are priced fine. They're both in that RB3 range. You can get them in the late 20s, even early 30s uh, in terms of just the positional layout. I just think that when people are going so heavily against Mostert here, based on these things Sermon is doing, it's like this Mostert is starting running back for the 49ers. The only bad thing people can say is that he's going to get hurt by week three or four. What if he doesn't, everyone? You know, Keenan Allen was injury prone until he wasn't. Not saying it's the same situation. I know Mostert is 29 years old, but it's pretty freaking rare to have Kyle Shanahan's number one running back this cheap in fantasy land. And I think Mostert getting that rest day alongside some of the other really important offensive contributors tells us a lot of what we need to know about this backfield. So, Dwayne, I want to get your thoughts here on the Mostert versus Sermon, uh, you know, dilemma. And am I kind of correct here when I'm saying both guys? should really be going quit making this uh sermon verse moster type of deal yeah and i'm a sermon homer so you, i mean i think you know you remember us talking like back before the draft like the thing that would excite me the most would be trey sermon to the niners and it happened yeah. <laughs> um and so i do have trey sermon graded slightly ranked slightly ahead of raheem moster but i've got them like three spots away <laughs> from each other in my ranking to your point i think they're going to both be used i really want to see them both together in a game um, and, and see how they're going to be used. Um, what could happen with Mostert that we're not thinking about is if you think back past last year, right? If you go back a year ahead of that, he used to own the two minute offense and the long down and distance, distance work in the offense. And so what if it's something where sermons, the first and second down back Mostert, right? Is the third down change of pace, but it's all the receiving work. If that happens, they're both going to have value in that, in that offense. So Trey Lance, if he comes in, he could create some more efficiency for them, but he could also still write some of the rushing touchdowns and yards from both the guys as well. So I'm with you. I've, I've been drafting both of them. Um, the problem with sermon is 
I don't get him that often because I feel like every draft I'm in, like someone that started zero RB or something like that, like is just willing to reach a little bit further than me, despite the fact that I love him. So I haven't ended up with a ton of him, but when that's happening, I'll often around and a half, two rounds later, I'm able to grab Mostert and I do like it. And actually, um, you know, if you guys go look on PFF, there was some really good uh, stuff that was put out there uh, last week by our intern Tej, like who's freaking amazing. And like, I don't know. <laughs> Like if you've read Baller, Baller. Seth is his name, it, it's freaking ridiculous. Uh, the stuff he's putting out. And if you guys aren't getting it, like you gotta go read it. But Moster is one of the backs that he focused on the most. And it's really around explosiveness. And I used that stuff from Tej. I worked with him last week to incorporate um, that into my rankings. So what he's done is, is I think it's super cool because the way it works is he's basically normalized for game conditions, right? Long down and distance, you know, second half where there's not as many eight man boxes. All all that kind of stuff. He's normalized carries across all running backs and then grades them against one another to see who has more explosive runs. And Raheem Mostert, needless to say, ranked yeah. way, way up at the top, um, you know, of the list. So, and just real quick, I know earlier we talked about somebody saying Mixon sucks and is inefficient. Mixon <laughs> popped on that report. Yeah. He got a grade. He graded out actually, because I broke it into percentiles. He graded out nearly at the 80th percentile versus Ooh. all of his peers. Once you normalized, uh, you know, the situations that Mixon had been getting the ball in. And so don't sleep on Mixon, folks. He's going to get, <laughs> he's going to get the utilization and he could also have, isn't it funny how the narrative changes so quickly Ian? two years ago, everybody thought, Oh, Mixon doesn't matter that Gio Bernard's there. doesn't matter. The offensive line sucks. Take him at the end of the first round. And now Gio Bernard's gone. The offensive line has improved. He still doesn't have a lot of carries on his body. Fade Joe Mixon. This is funny. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, just make sure if you have an argument that you're really against a player, just maybe take that argument and apply it to other people and see if it still holds <laughs> up. And then if it doesn't, maybe you shouldn't be basing so much on that. Final point on these 49ers running backs, because, you know, I send a lot of tweets about Raheem Mostert. I've been doing that for a lot of reasons, but the primary one is that Sermon is in my opinion, inexplicably, like five spots ahead of Mostert on underdog best ball. Now, as redraft ADPs start to circle when those get sharper, over at Fancy Football Calculator, it's the opposite. Sermon is five spots behind Mostert. So if we're in a world where Sermon is a cheaper back, like that's fine, sign me up. I have been struggling to get behind him being the more expensive back in best ball land. So, you know, I, there's differences between best ball and redraft, and I'm, I'm sure that plays into it as well. But Namely, people, yeah. both guys are cheap enough at where they're going, a redraft, best ball, whatever. If we could have any running backs associated with Kyle Shanahan, usually good for the fancy business. Yeah, over an FFPC, which is pretty it's pretty sharp yeah. drafting over there. Trey Sermon right now going average round six, pick five. And then you got Raheem Mostert going seven, seven. So you yeah. have about a round difference between them over in that all, format. All the sharps got a uh, sermon a little bit ahead. I'm going head to head with them this offseason, Dwayne. We'll see. Uh, we'll see who comes <laughs> out on top. All right. We've hit on a lot of the running backs so far. I'm looking through to see if we got some more. Javonta. Oh, yes, we do. Let's talk Javonta in just a minute. I want to quickly touch on Jacksonville. And first, everyone, I am so happy Tim Tebow is no longer employed by this team. I just had this horrible pit in my stomach thinking that we we're going to have this Taysom Hill goal line vulture situation, but not the case. And we don't need to talk about him ever again. So that is great because now hopefully we can get a lead running back in Jacksonville. Unfortunately though, Dwayne, I'm not sure if that's going to happen all that soon. Carlos Hyde, James Robinson, Travis Etienne, each was heavily involved in this backfield. It's not a given. This is going to be what we're going to see in 
regular season. You know, as we said before, Michael Carter, rookies can get better, snaps can change, but just based on what what we wrote, what we know right now, James Robinson seven snaps with uh, Trevor Lawrence under center, ETN five, Carlos Hyde three, and ETN ten of his snaps came in the backfield. Only three came out wide as more of a true receiver. And from what watching it, I think at least two of those were like just the most obvious passing situations ever. Like we saw nothing to suggest that ETN is this slash type of figure Urban's been talking about. Again, maybe, you know, he's going to pull rabbit out of his hat and they're waiting to unveil their, you know, full offense for week one. That would make sense. But for the time, Dwayne, the guy that, you know, at least we've mentioned on here, same thing with Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor. It's not that Carlos Hyde or Marlon Mack are anyone that you guys should ever draft in any fantasy football format, but their presence hurts James Robinson and also Jonathan Taylor when it comes down to an early down back that we're not expecting to get the pass down work. So what are your takeaways from the Jaguars' first game? And at this point, what running back are you prioritizing most in fantasy land? Yeah, you you hit a bunch of it. I'm pretty much off of them at this yeah. point. And if I'm going to take one, it's still going to be a TN. I <laughs> But he needs to slide some because again, the zero RB drafters are very aggressive with him. Like, because they see him as being, you know, an elite athlete with pass catching skills, right? Which is basically like two of the key criteria that you want to use when you're building out a zero RB roster. So he continues, you know, to actually creep up boards. He's kind of steady here lately, but I just, I've, I've forced myself to get a little bit of exposure to him, but I haven't done it a lot. And I mean, again, the things you hit on. So if you look at the plays with the starters, the utilization. So when you look at when Trevor Lawrence was on the field, James, Rob, James Robinson, 47% of the snaps. Um, Etienne, 33%, 20% to hide. Rushing attempts, Robinson, 75%, 25% Etienne, 0% to hide. Routes, 27%, 33%, 27%. Targets, they weren't targeted at all, any of them, right? Short down and distance, though, 100% James Robinson. Long down and distance, 67% James Robinson, 33% Etienne. And then to- total overall, just zooming out, looking at third down snaps, period, 50%, 25%, 25%. And so it's, it's just being spread, you know, all over the place. You know, my biggest takeaway from the Jaguars game was yes, continue to draft Marvin Jones repeatedly, yeah. you know, his current ADP, uh, because, uh, he and Trevor Lawrence definitely got, so they've got a connection going. Um, so that was my biggest takeaway from that game, but overall just not super excited, um, about the backfield for the Jaguars. Yeah, I was ready to almost go back a little bit on the James Robinson situation. We have getting some good reports out of camp and all that. But people, we cannot have three backs in this backfield. If we get Robinson and ETN as our Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara, whatever, you know, past two back success story you want to pull out of your hat, that's fine. We can live with those two. But if Hyde's going to come in here, that's really going to make life tough. Yeah. Tough for the artist formerly known as James Robinson. Yeah. Thank yeah, God, so. thank God, Tebow isn't, but Lawrence will also be getting <laughs> some. All right, all right, you mentioned it before. Let's talk some Javante Williams now. The dude looked absolutely fantastic against the Vikings' second team defense, but that's the type of talent that we're getting. I mean, to put up stupid broken tackle numbers in college. That's why PFF was so high on him coming out. And now with Melvin Gordon, I believe nursing a groin injury, there seems to be a better shot than we anticipated of him coming out early on top. I've seen some of your tweets, Dwayne, with uh, some reservations about Javante's, you know, just ability to really get the amount of touches for him to meet his draft spot. Have you had change of heart just after experiencing that first game? 
No, I haven't had a change of heart and it's, it's not so much Javante. I mean, he looks good, but we knew he, I expected him to look good. Right. So he did, you know, what I expected. Um, and I really do. I, I think he can be a really good player like starting next year. And I think he's, I think he can provide value this year. My issue was really how high he was going. It's just kind of like what we were just talking about with Etienne. Like he was going in the fifth round. Now he's starting to slide down a little bit. And I just felt the fifth round was a little bit rich given the other options that I had available. I wouldn't say you couldn't ever do it, but my advice to drafters really would be if you're going to take him and be that aggressive with him, also be prepared to not play him early in the season. You know, we, we can draft players that we just love their upside and not plan on putting them in the lineup right? The first week there, you do have the option to do that. So there's multiple ways you can think about your roster construction. And if you're going to do that with Williams, I think you've got to definitely think about what is week one, two, three, four, five look like for you. And then hopefully down the stretch, he really becomes the guy and takes over my, my issue with Williams was actually cemented <laughs> because he actually gave way to Royce Freeman. So you have Melvin Gordon, not even on the field, who actually is a good, is a decent pass blocker, is decent as a pass receiver as well. And you just have Royce Freeman and he's the guy getting all the passing down work. So I didn't like that about Williams. He was basically a first and second down back while he did compile 28 yards on the four attempts, 80% of the rushing attempts. He only saw 50% of the passing snaps period. So meaning when the team dropped back to pass, he saw 50% of that and he, and he exited the field whenever they got in a long down a distance situation. So there could be some issues there with pass protection. They're still trying to see if he can handle that. Um, and to your point, like, players can get better. Right. And that's something that specifically a lot of times we see rookies struggle with. So I'm not like burying the guy. I just think that, you know, he's priced pretty high. And if you look historically of the backs that have gone in the second round that come in behind someone, um, even worse than Mel people say Melvin Gordon's wash. Like you've seen the list I put out there, Ian, like I'm, we're talking about people that if you think Melvin Gordon's washed, you would think these guys <laughs> that are on this list were dead and, and the rookies were not able to able to overtake them. And we're talking about guys like Derek Henry, right? Not being able to take over, you know, DeMarco Murray um, on the downside of his career. I mean, we're talking about really good backs that have ended up being really great later in their careers, not able to overcome these, you know, obstacles that we think are dusted. So that's just my cautionary tale on Williams. Um, I prefer to, to, to focus, you know, where I think the backfield is a little bit more open. Um, but it, it, you know, each one of these rookies this year, Ian, we could, we could tell ourselves a story that's, that's upside. We could tell ourselves a story that's downside. I, I prefer the guys that go a little bit cheaper just because the opportunity cost is less. It was so nice doing best balls about a month ago because you could avoid this entire range of running backs and still get these awesome receivers. But people, unfortunately, have wised up and now they're going a little bit safer spot. I will say, though, who do you have between Etienne and Javante? I'm still going with Etienne because I think that he is going to have 50-plus catches in most simulations of the of the season, the way it plays out. Javante, even if he might have the higher ceiling, I'm not so sure he has the same sort of week-to-week fantasy-friendly role where, where do you have them yeah so in a standard league i'm going javonta williams right. right so that's that's if you're not getting any kind of points for your receptions but in half ppr and in full ppr i'm going with etienne okay fair same here let's talk one more backfield new england patriots maybe just maybe leading on a single back no not Ramondre stevenson as great as he was in the <laughs> second half specifically the fourth quarter of that game damian harris was the one that really came away with some great metrics his two big runs got kind of wiped away by holds and 
I get it. Probably wouldn't have happened without the hold. So not even trying to bring that up. With that said, 75% snap rate with the first team offense. He was only subbed out for James White when, uh, you know, they were just not going with him. So Sony Michelle came in later, JJ Taylor. It seems to me, Dwayne, like Stevenson. And hey, when you play that good and you're a rookie, he'll get more run. But what was it, two weeks ago when the running back coach said, like, he needs to improve on uh, literally everything, I think, were his exact words. So to me, Stevenson, I think, is competing with Sony, with Taylor for that RB3 job. Damon Harris seems like the rock solid guy that is about to be the starting running back for the Patriots. And God forbid Mac Jones beats Cam Newton now sooner rather than later. Dwayne, we could be looking at a guy pushing for 20 carries a game with the vaunted goal line role. Yeah, no, I think that's what we need to see. We want, and we hate, we're not wishing for, you know, the lack of success for any NFL player. Like we like Mac Jones. We like Cam Newton. We love, we love all the players. As far as Damian Harris goes, that's, that's the key, right? Is you do need Mac Jones to be the starting quarterback and you know, it's going to happen in the end. Mac Jones is going to be named the starting quarterback come week one. We're all going to be stoked. We're starting Damian Harris in our, you know, uh, in our fan duel accounts or in our, dra- or in our, um, you know, DraftKings accounts. And guess what? Cam Newton comes out when they get to, to the, you know, inside the five. No, <laughs> Mac Jones leaves oh. the field. Sorry, man. I know. I'm sorry. Don't I even talk about that. Keep, one. <laughs> gonna keep you up all night. You know, Bill Belichick is that's like something he'll do. Um, but no, I think you're, I think you're hitting it. I hate, we've been agreeing on most of these. I, we got to disagree at some point, but we'll get there. We'll Damian get there. Harris, Damian Harris is the reason why I don't reach like for some of these other guys, because I feel like he pretty much has the role that I'm hoping they're going to get. And he's a second year running back or third year running back. Right. Um, but his first year, he basically didn't play last year. He came on towards the end, got hurt. And then now, you know, he's got a shot to be the guy. I do worry if Sony still stays in the mix and becomes the new Burkhead, you know, this is a team that could still easily use three backs as well. So I don't, I don't want him to push too far up boards, but when he's making it to me, say, you know, in the ninth round and I need an RB three, like, I'm fine taking Damian Harris. Like that's, I'm willing to pull the trigger on that. You know, he and Zach Moss, I have right there in that, in that tier where it's like, okay, this is what I need. These guys are available. I'm going to do it. Like, um, and then I have Mostert who we just talked about just slightly ahead of them. I have Josh Jacobs in that tier as well. That's not where he's going. People are still taking him well ahead of that. But just as, you know, even if they don't catch passes, like it's okay at some point. Not every running back catches passes. Just don't draft a running back that can't catch passes where the running backs that do catch passes are well, there's going. I definitely think Josh Jacobs over those guys. But okay. uh, if you talk about their roles, I do agree they're similar. I just think that the here's the way I look at Josh Jacobs. They've got first round capital tied up in him. He's He's going to he's going to be involved in the offense. You know, he's going to be the guy they're going to use the most down inside the five. I don't think he really has the threat of dealing with three running backs quite as much as some of these other guys do. And I think his talent, you know, is proven while he may not be as explosive as some people want, like he's graded out really well from a pro football focused grading standpoint, as far as rushing goes over the last several years, he's a good player. Um, and so for me, I like Jacobs over, I'll take Jacobs over Mostert. I'll take Jacobs over Damian Harris. I'll take Jacobs over Zach Moss. Now his ADP clearly dictates that, you know, he's going ahead of them anyway. Um, But like, I look at Josh Jacobs and I kind of think, man, like really what's the difference between Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery? Really what's the difference between Josh Jacobs and even, I know this is sacrilege, but Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, yes, is much more explosive. Also, 
I'm not going to get the passing down work. It's the same thing. So it's fun narratives. We tell each other, um, and I get it. There's a difference in efficiency and upside, but is it that huge? It's like six rounds difference, five rounds difference between the players. I mean, to me, that's like great points, Dwayne. I just want to prepare you though, because you're going to get on Twitter in a couple of days, and you're just going to see your name and then a quote <laughs> that says, "What's the difference between Josh oh Jacobs God. and Jonathan Taylor?" But again, can we go back and erase it? <laughs> You said it though. We, we don't. Uh, I'll, I'll immediately be muting that. Thread. We don't have to. We don't hate any of these guys. You said it before. As and I say this every other podcast. No. We don't hate players. We hate ADPs. It's a good point by Dwayne. I mean, Jacobs is sliding down. I probably do have him a little bit lower than he should be. So it's a good point there. You don't always have to follow the trends, ladies and mostly gentlemen. We can uh, just look at the utilization, like Dwayne, put them where they should be. And people, if you want to check out all of Dwayne's utilization, his rankings, my rankings, my articles. I just want to say that for just $9.99, you can get access to all that and more PFF's Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Everyone's rankings and projections, all of PFF's locked article content, cheat sheets for your fantasy draft, and more. Again, that's PFF's Fantasy Suite for just $9.99. Draft smarter than your league mates this season. If you want to do it, you can go on over to Fantrax. Fantrax is free fantasy football league manager. is the most customizable, easy-to-use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is gearing to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. There's multi-team trades, bonus points for touchdowns with different yardage. And if you're coming from another site that has no problem, Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free. Create a free account now using promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league. Plus six grand. Go on and get to Vegas, baby, and use that. Maybe double your money. Who knows? That's promo code PFF at Fantrax.com slash PFF. Final point, everybody. Pacquiao versus Ugas is this weekend. And DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is offering 100 to 1 odds on a punch being landed at any point during their fight. Basically, just a cute way of doing your sign-up bonus. That's right. Bet $1 on either fighter. And if one punch, if a punch lands during the fight, you will cash $100 in free credits. I'm almost like hoping that doesn't work that would be pretty funny to see happen <laughs> i'm sure not for you doing it so just go ahead and do it and you'll get that money download the top rated DraftKings sports app now use promo code pff when you sign up turn one dollar into a hundred dollars in free credits when you bet on either fighter to win and a punch is landed during the fight place your bet and wants to fight fist fly this weekend code pff uh, must be 21 or older new jersey indiana or pennsylvania only new customers apply restrictions apply see draftkings.com sportsbook for details gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in indiana one 1-800-9 with it. Thank you to every sponsor out there. And please excuse me, you know, going off the rail a little bit. I love you guys. Please go sign up with those codes like we talk about. Dwayne, I have an article going up tomorrow, 17 key takeaways um, from the preseason. And one of my takeaways was that sometimes not playing in the preseason can actually be for the best. And other times actually having good plays in the preseason can distract us from a player that doesn't necessarily have great usage. Now for the second category, I, I highlighted a few examples. Quez Watkins, 78-yard screen in the house. Should have had a 98-yard score, but Jalen Hurts overthrew him. He apparently had started to pass Greg, uh, uh, you know, Greg Ward on the depth chart, and that's great, but just realize, people, Devontae Smith is going to be the guy. He just returned to practice today. When I saw him running down that field, I was thinking Devontae Smith, who should be their number one pass game option. Rager is going to be there. Hey, good on you, Quez Watkins. Maybe he finds a way in the starting lineup. Just realize not exactly at the top of it. There's also Eno Benjamin, who came in 
well after the other Cardinals' backs. LaVisca Chenault came in and did some good things with design touches, was only in the slot, though. And as you pointed out, Marvin Jones seemed like the number one receiver there. I want to get your thoughts on this guy because I think this could be where we disagree. Paris Campbell, former Ohio State Buckeye, has battled plenty of injury problems his first two years. Before the pod, you were saying there might be some positives to take away from his game. He did catch a gloriously thrown deep ball, deep ball from Jacob Eason down the sideline. With that said, though, T.Y. Hilton, Michael Pittman, Zach Pascal were all rested. What about Campbell's performance has you feeling good about his potential as a later round dart in 2021? Yeah, I just I like his I like his big play upside and he's cheap. <laughs> you know, I mean, to me, he essentially becomes a Lavisca Chenault arbitrage play. You're talking about a person that's only going to be on the field in 11 personnel. It's going to play mostly out of the slot. And I do think, even though um, some of those other guys were arrested, I still think he I consider him the front runner to play that role on this team. Um, we know the talent's there. It's just a matter of well, I say we know the talent is there. We we know the we know the traits are there, right? Yeah. We've never seen him fully put it together. He's He's definitely had some injury prone issues, but you saw some of the things that he can do. Um, he only had the one reception for 37 yards, but he can be that guy that can turn something underneath into something bigger because that's really not Michael Pittman's game. He did some of that last year, but he's really a guy that, you know, you want more of the yardage to come in the air versus after the catch. I think Paris Campbell can still do both of those things. Obviously I have concerns about um, the quarterback situation there, but again, I think Paris Campbell will probably be somewhere around 70% of the routes when he's healthy which is better than what Chenault saw, you know, this yeah. last weekend, you know, it's better than, you know, a lot of other players. So he fits into that receiver group of, we like the upside. He's probably only going to be on the field in 11 personnel. We have some questions about the offense, but we know that there's some upside there. Like Jalen Rager fits into the same tier, even though he gets screamed at apparently every day in practice, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, if there was a, a downgrading a player for being screamed at in practice, like Jalen Rager would be off of boards. Um, have you guys ever been coached? Like that's what coaches do. They grab your face mask and scream in your face, you know, uh, make you uncomfortable. That's football, that's so, football people. That's football. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, cons- I just look at him and I think he, belongs in a tier similar to some of those other guys that I mentioned and he goes at a discount. So I'm always interested in that type of profile. Yeah. You know, I was comparing them one-to-one and they aren't comparable one-to-one because LaVisca Chenault has an ADP wide receiver, 35 on underdog Paris Campbell, 40 spots below wide receiver, 75, obviously even far more just overall ADP. So great point there. And yeah, we did see that in week one last year when Campbell was out there fully in the slot. Some people still think like T.Y. Houghton's their slot receiver just because he's short. Like that hasn't been the case for years, people. <laughs> T.Y. lines up on the outside. And with Pittman, it's very true, man. I was really impressed by him in the uh, play playoff game against the Bills but before that like I remember when everyone was getting on Pittman kind of like week 10 range and I remember just watching the games and I was like okay he was wide open on this crosser he caught the ball nobody was really mm-hmm. covering him he picked up the 40 yards that were available that's, you're talking about right and like <laughs> that's great he got those yards but to your point I think they would probably rather that be Paris Campbell if he's healthy enough to do so my I guess big takeaway though and again we're focusing more on the usage here but for him to snag that ball over his shoulder, if there's any Buckeye fans out there like me, I mean, the big stat coming out was like, I think he only caught like one touchdown, thrown over 20 yards his entire uh, Ohio State career. So he was always used as almost more of like a Rondale Moore, just eight low dot, five mm-hmm. yards within the line of scrimmage. Nobody's ever been doubting his ability with the ball in his hands, but if he can start going downfield, Dwayne, I've been equating to like, that's like when Happy Gilmore learned how to putt. Like if Paris Campbell can go downfield, man, what can't the guy do? 
And I know it sounds funny, but I think there is a path that he becomes the most valuable weapon on the offense. I'm not saying it's like the odds are in favor of it, but when I think about, okay, if he can win underneath, to your point, if he has the, the, the ability to stretch the field vertically and the coaches do like him, you know, we've yeah. known that they liked him last year. They're a little leery because they want, they don't, I think right now they're kind of like, they don't want their hearts broken <laughs> with Paris Campbell. I think they want him to prove that he can stay healthy, but you can make an argument that he can do the things that nobody else on the team can do. Uh, you know, I mean, Hilton can do some of it, but how long can he hold up really? You know? And so when I see profiles like that, I'm interested, especially at the price. I'm just, it's the, it's all about the price. You talk about this all the time, Ian, you know, it's not necessarily about hating or just loving players. Like certainly we have, we have players we favor, but a lot of it really is about what does it cost you, you know, and when can you get this player and you just nailed it. I mean, he's going 40 picks after LaVisca Chanel. And I would say there's a fair chance. I mean, I would put it under 50%, but I think even if you call it 30% chance, that he outscores LaVisca Chanel. Like that makes him a valuable pick. And I think he can actually do more than LaVisca Chanel as far as all the areas of the field that he can attack. And I don't think he has his, you know, when DJ Shark is back and you also have Marvin Jones, I would also say that that's two tougher targets to try to get targets away from than what he's fighting against right now with Pittman and Hilton. Let's talk about the cheapest number one pass game option, all of fantasy football, of course, Mr. Corey Davis. He ran four routes. He had four targets. You know, didn't do anything all that impressive with him. But I don't know, Dwayne, I thought Zach Wilson, you know, looked better than I kind of thought he would just in terms of these first-round quarterbacks. Not that I expected Zach Wilson to be a bust, but if you had to say, gun to your head, which one will bust, I probably would have picked Zach Wilson. Strength of schedule concerns, how he performed under pressure, going to an organization that just hasn't produced, you know, a good quarterback really ever. I mean, that's when when Haskins got uh, cut last year and everyone was just dunking on him. I remember I just tweeted out every single quarterback Washington had drafted in the last, like, 25 years. And the question is, like, did every one of these players really suck or potentially did the environment, the landing spot, maybe have something to do with it? So, again, and we've seen Daniel Jones, Josh Allen, uh, some of these quarterbacks that are written off immediately perform just fine as fancy assets. So I, I was I was never writing off Zach Wilson, but again, uh, I was just impressed compared to what I was thinking. And to see Corey Davis come in here in an offseason where the Elijah Moore hype has been out of control, you know, we've been aware of Corey Davis having this possibility, but after seeing those snaps actually come to fruition Dwayne are you targeting Corey Davis higher than you were this time last week yeah he stays where I've had him but I've been targeting Corey Davis I felt like yeah. you know um, and I like Elijah Moore a lot as well um, so I like both of those players and I think there's plenty of room since we don't really have a tight end and I don't want to bring that up but also ah. just like for, forget forget too soon. Setting too soon. <laughs> but I, I I feel like they're clearly either option it's either a 1a 1b or really it's just a one and a two right and and it could go in either order so i've been getting exposure to both of those players and Corey davis here lately has been the one slipping um since a lot since elijah moore's injury that may have flip-flopped i haven't looked at it uh, i did draft last night but i didn't look at it um, to see if they had moved you know if they flipped spots but yes i am on with Corey davis and you know your point about zach wilson remember this is Mike LaFleur. We're installing a Kyle Shanahan style scheme, Sean McVay style scheme. It can be very quarterback friendly. I mean, we're talking about, you know, these are offenses that look what it did for Baker Mayfield with Stefanski. 
right? You know, Baker, all, everybody, he went from being great. Everybody thought he should, he was terrible. So then all of a sudden he had a really efficient year last year, um, different kind of style of offense, but Tannehill saw his career revived by a heavy play action passing game, even though it's not the exact same style of offense, but a lot of play action utilizing the running game to try to make everything else work. Right now I get it. They don't, you don't have to run the ball 70% of the time to make play action work 70% of the time. And I, I get it. But the point being is that these can be efficient offenses. So I think that Zach Wilson actually lands you know, in a spot where he can be a bit sheltered, you know, um, the offensive line is improving. And I think he's actually going to be a guy in best ball. Speaking of Wilson, where he's going to have these spike weeks that we see from these style of quarterbacks, like Kirk cousins, Baker Mayfield. Um, we've seen it in the past with Jimmy Garoppolo. Heck, you would have thrown Aaron Rodgers into that bucket until last year. He had his insane year of efficiency where he's throwing a touchdown pass on over 9% of his uh, passes, which he's probably going to regress this year. And so we've seen that in the past with Matt Ryan, whenever he was under Kyle Shanahan and never really done anything. And all of a sudden, boom, fantasy quarterback, number one. So I'm not saying that's going to be the kind of season he's going to have, but certainly those spike weeks can happen. And I think he's valuable in best ball and you can make cheap stacks out of him. I haven't missed my third QB multiple times um, whenever I've really waited on quarterback. And sometimes I pair him with the other guys similar to him when everyone, if quarterbacks go super early, just because I'm basically betting on, you know, I've got three of them. I just need their spike weeks to be different. <laughs> that's all I'm looking for. Yeah, I was talking about doing the two of Waddle Fuller stacks earlier. I mean, Davis, Moore, Wilson are even cheaper than that. And to your point, could uh, theoretically have even higher upside and, uh, you know, play the season out enough times. I want to talk about one more receiver before we get some tight ends and head on out of here. Terrace Marshall, I think, has gotten more victory laps already than like every other rookie combined. And I'm not saying they're warranted, but people like he got a 59 yard catch and run where PJ Walker did PJ Walker things, evaded yeah. some pressure. And Marshall, you know, kind of got lost in the zone. He caught the ball. He ran a bunch. It was a fine play. I'm not going to penalize him for getting hawked by another very fast professional athlete. I like Marshall. And I remember when I did a uh, study before the draft where I was looking like who are the five tool receivers? Spoiler, it was only Kyle Pitts because so many of these Mickey Mouse sized guys just didn't have the size and uh, speed. But Terrence Marshall checked a lot of boxes. The only reason he kind of fell as far as he did in the draft was injury concerns. Seemingly healthy right now, though. So I'm fine with Marshall prioritizing him over, you know, some of these, the Elijah Moores, the Rondales, you know, even if you want to put Waddle on there, like dynasty, if you really think you believe in Marshall, like that's fine. I'm not going to disagree with you. I think there's a case to be made for him there, but Dwayne, like should we really be rocketing Sam Darnold's number four pass game option off the draft boards? That's kind of where I step back. Like for 2021, we have Sam Darnold there, and maybe I'm living in a world where I'm just in denial. I will admit the Panthers, you know, the Panthers schedule. If Sam Darnold can't get it done against the Jets, the Saints, the Texans, and the Cowboys in weeks one through four, I don't know if he's ever going to. Because at this point, and we said the, uh, you know, similar point before about, you know, when you look at an offense, and you think every receiver is going to ball out. Okay, maybe we should be higher on the quarterback. Or... If we're saying DJ Moore, Robbie McCaffrey, Terrace Marshall, all these guys, are gonna, all these guys are going to be great. And we look at Darnold, maybe we should be a little bit lower on these guys. So talk to me about Terrace Marshall expectations and kind of this Panthers passing game as a whole. Because me, I'm falling in the latter camp. I have more ranked lower than a lot of other people. Robbie's just kind of there. Obviously, McCaffrey will get his, but at the end of the day, I'm betting against Sam Darnold. Yeah, and. 
and, and the ADP differences in some of them is really the the challenge. And so Marshall is really the guy that I probably own the most of just because he's been the cheapest. If I want exposure right to the Panthers passing game, I don't even own a ton of Robbie despite going into the season thinking that I would just because of his ADP, I still own more DJ Moore, And it's just because more, I do still believe, you know, he can be that elite receiver. Um, we kind of discount him for being really good for three years, <laughs> even though he's battled through really bad quarterback play and had a lot of challenges on his team and it's just like well he hadn't broke all the way out yet so we don't like him and the easy argument is we'll look at amari cooper he kind of teased us like that all along right but he never truly took that next big step but if i'm drafting in a tier where if i'm just looking at upside of the player um and i see you know I'm, i've got tyler lockett who i love by the way and i'm drafting a ton of but i've got chris godwin i've got mike evans i got robert woods all those guys and i draft a lot of those guys a lot but i can see the argument for if any one of those like is really just to step up and lead their offense like and you put dj Moore in that group who would it be i would probably say okay i'll put my chip on dj Moore. but to your point like the thing that scares me away is sam darnold um and so what i have been doing when i'm taking dj Moore and i come back and i grab marshall i'm just going ahead and double i just double down or triple down i guess ian i just take sam darnold into the draft at that I'm point like, you have to work yeah 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 once once you grab more and then if marshall seems to slide and i take both then it's like let's just bet let's just make this contrarian bet um because to your point sam darnold's going undrafted a decent amount for how often all three of these receivers are taken in the top 10 to 11 rounds. Um, so I think that's an interesting situation. Um, I was in a draft, I was in a draft sharks invitational, uh, last week, uh, shout out to Jared Smola and those guys for inviting me on. And it was awesome. Uh, and Daigle, Daigle actually, he went with the, um, he went with a big stack around Carolina. He waited, he waited at quarterback. He waited at, um, running back. And he took a lot of receivers early. And I noticed, I was like, what's he doing? Like he had DJ Moore, and then he went with Robbie Anderson. Then he got, I think he actually passed Terrace Marshall. He let that go by by um, I was kind of surprised he let that go by, but he came back and grabbed Darnold late. So he was definitely betting on that stack as being something that if it did go off because of the prices, right, it could really work out well. Um, Real quick on Marshall, um, was out there for 73% of the routes with the starters. So that's positive, but you just have to, to note that I've seen a lot of people kind of throwing out there, hey, he's just going to step into Curtis Samuel's role. He's not going to line up in the backfield, guys. Like, it's not going to happen. And you got Christian McCaffrey back, who's going to demand 15 to 20% of the targets too. So you got to somehow equate for you. You got to put that into your equation. And then what that does for me is you're, you're, you're making a strong bet on efficiency with any one of these receivers, because there is, um, you know, there's just, you've got to spread the ball around because they all have talent. And so for me, that typically means Marshall is the guy that I'm taking just because he's the cheapest of them. If I want to put a bet on it, he does, he did look really good Ian, yeah. again, oh, yeah. um, you know, and just getting rid of even the play you know, where he caught the ball because he was wide open. Cause I'm with you. I thought Walker was really the player that made the good play on that. Right. Yeah. You know, he kept things alive, maneuvered through the pocket, looks up, you know, finds her, kept his, kept his eyes downfield, you know, finds Marshall, you know, like you said, floating open in the zone and he, you know, makes a good play out of it. But it's a lot of also walk, watching the practice reps and things like that, that people put out there. And I know sometimes those can be dangerous, but just the things I see him consistently doing, just winning the ball, just winning the ball, winning the ball, winning the ball. It's like over and over, you're seeing these same things. And I'm like, there's something to this guy for sure. 
he could lead this offense in receiving touchdowns. The question is, is that going to be with like five or with like 12? Both, <laughs> both are on the table. And you know, both again, and I've been, I've been good about not banging the table this episode, but I have been in the past about just fading Darnold. And look, people, I, I could very well be wrong. Like that is certainly in the range of outcomes as well. And if that is the case, then yes, Terrace Marshall is going to be a bargain at that ADP. Certainly a guy being priced far closer to his floor than but his I, ceiling. I do back. I do back what you're saying, Ian. Like if you had to put, you know, money down and people were really forced to with Sam Darnold, I think we're being a bit optimistic. You know, I mean, it's not like we've got a lot of really good. The only data point we could say is, well, the Jets were terrible. Adam Gase was a big part of it. Um, You know, he got hit a lot. It's, I mean, but the talent's still there, right? That that could be the other. I think he could be okay. yeah. Just not anything better than no good. good data points. We don't have yeah. any good data points saying that there's something, because I dug too, you know, and I, I dug and dug saying, is there something I'm missing with Sam Darnold? Is there any pearl like that I can pull out and be like, hey, look at this? And there just really, there wasn't. <laughs> there wasn't one that I could find other than he has first round draft capital. And at one point, he was thought to be a good quarterback. Like if he was average and we were saying, hey, all these playmakers and the coach, they can get him to be above average or great. Okay, that's a reasonable step up. I'm not saying a guy can go from horrific to great in one year with this stuff going on. Again, though, we'll see. Dwayne, we got a couple more minutes here. I want to talk tight ends because uh, it took about 60 minutes this year for a handful of our late round darlings to uh, get thrown in our faces. And it seems like every (laughs) single year this happens, which is why one of my top 10 tips was – just please, people, if you can get Kelsey, Waller, Kittle at value early on, really try to do so because we have these guys that we talk about all offseason and then we find out, oh, they're in a muddle situation. So my notes, Adam Troutman is in a situation where he was a starter, but we did see him stay in and pass block on three of his nine pl- pass plays. Uh, that was a similar situation that really hurt Chris Herndon last year. Even if you're the starter, if you're only pass blocking when the quarterback's throwing, not ideal. We also had Anthony Ferkser playing behind Luke Stalker and Tommy Hudson in terms of inline snaps. And we also had Chester Rogers playing some of the slot. The idea with Ferkser is that he was going to be the starting slot receiver. Doesn't seem like that's exactly coming to fruition. I just wouldn't really expect his role to change all that much now, which isn't great if we're trying to draft him as a top 15 tight end. Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz, like if you... You should have moved Goddard down to the borderline tight end one range already once we heard Ertz was coming back. Now that we saw that they're being used pretty much the same way they were last year. Yes, I mean, in Ertz, okay, he's a value. I guess where he's going, but I just don't see the Eagles really enabling a top 10 tight end period this year. And final point, Mike Jasicki had that great catch we mentioned with Tua. The problem was Adam Shaheen, Durham Smythe, both played ahead of Jasicki. They want to throw him the ball in obvious passing situations, but the problem is like how much how expensive do we really want to get for a guy that's only going to be out there 40 50 percent of the snaps potentially also need to consider no parker no fuller jasicki by all accounts should be the number four pass game option in this offense at best so Dwayne, i threw a lot at you there but between you know jasicki goddard ferkser troutman and these guys that you're still okay with or do you think that yeah the arrow is pretty firmly pointing down yeah i'm firmly off of goddard because of the price still um, yeah. so, I mean, I'm out, even though I like the player, um, there's just no reason, basically the way my tiers, I need to go adjust my tiers, but the way I think of them now after this weekend, and I was kind of there already in, and, but I just, this gave me, I think the, the subtle push is once you get past the second tier, which I've got as Hawkinson Pitts, and Andrews, 
I think there's a tier of its own is the way I'm going to make it now. And it's Logan Thomas, just because I know he's going to be on the field all the time. He's going to get some targets. I don't expect him to be like this tremendous player, but I feel decent about what his volume is going to be. Then everybody after that, even though there may be more talented players that have higher draft capital and all those things, there's just a lot of questions about all of them. And so I almost feel like I want to walk away to your point, preferably with one of the tier one tight ends, which would either be Kelsey Kittle, um, you know, or, uh, God, why is my mind going blank? Yeah. <laughs> Who's our other tight end? Uh, Kelsey <laughs> Kittle Waller. Day. Waller. Yeah. Waller. Yeah. Right <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want one of those three, if not, I'm, you know, in it and they slide a little, I like one of the guys from the other tier, right. Which is again, you know, Pitts. you know, then you got Andrews, um, and then, um, you've got Hawkinson, those guys all have together. So I like them. If you get them a little bit past ADP Pitts is typically going ahead of, you know, at or ahead of ADP. There's a lot of people that want to reach for him and I get it. Like he, he looks like a, a complete stud. Um, but then I think like my backstop is like Logan Thomas. And so it's like, if his ADP is not bad. So it's like, do I just prioritize him like half a round early and just grab him and be done with it? Cause the rest of it is kind of a mess. If not, it's a complete punt. And it's just like, I'm just going to wait as long as I can. I'm going to take a couple um, because I don't, it's hard for me to really look at the situation and say, Hey, there's this guy that I really favor um, because of X, Y, Z. Um, it's kind of, it's just becoming even, it's, it's just, I don't see this, the silver lining really for a lot of these players that I was hoping I was going to see two weeks ago. And one of them is going to hit inevitably. And then we're all yeah, going to look yeah, back and say, sure. how, how did we not know that guy was going to be it? But yes, people, as always, the late round tight end range uh, looks far less appealing as we get into August, September than it does, you know, March, April and June. So Dwayne, fantastic stuff, man. This is your first full time fantasy football week. I love it. Like you said, wake up, go to sleep, all talking, all writing, fantasy football, real life football all the time. Let the people know what, what you got in the docket. I know your tears went out last week. Utilization report should be live. What else we got going? Yeah. So I'm, I'm working really on draft strategy stuff this week. So it's really around how do you handle quarterback, which we'll post tomorrow and then running back receiver and tight end. And really the whole premise is while a lot of us can talk about, oh, I'm a zero RB or I'm a, I'm a, you know, an anchor RB guy, or I'm a fragile drafter, you know, whatever the case may be. The real takeaway, like, is you still need to be flexible because you never know what your league mates are going to do. And you need to be able to be, to go in whichever direction you need to. And the way I think is still the best way to do that, Ian, I mean, I've been playing a long time is I have different levels of confidence, right? About where the value is in drafts, right? At the different positions. And once you know that, then you can back your way into um, how you handle those early middle rounds, the early first two rounds, right? We've, you've, you've got some clear lines in the sand of players that you probably like and everybody, we spend a lot of time talking about those. So I don't need yeah. to spend a ton of time on those players. Basically, you just don't want those players to bust. I know there's arguments in large national tr- you know, tournaments that those need to be home run picks. So I get that argument too, but really this whole series is about going back to the basics of, okay, where is the value? And if we know what those things are like, how can you best use that to your advantage? Knowing that you're going to be able to get these players later. So what does that mean you need to do with your picks earlier in the draft? So it's like, you know, solving the puzzle backwards essentially. And so those will all drop this week, all of the different, um, you know, positions. And I will be republishing my tiers with the updates, um, from this past weekend, and then we'll, it'll be quickly on next week, Ian. And we'll be back on here, hopefully, talking about utilization of preseason week two. 
Absolutely, we will. We will also be back here. I'm thinking we'll record Thursday, Javan. We'll figure this out off the air. But we'll uh, be recording and talking about many of those things that you just brought up. I will be updating my top 300, getting that published on Friday. And I got a new article I'm going to do on Thursday. I'm in some of these leagues where, just a keeper league, where it's, you know, it's not dynasty, but you have maybe one or two spots where you can keep the guy and have the draft round. And, you know, I take a lot of these rookie backs, in the, which a lot of people do, I'm sure. You take the rookie backs in the mid-later round rounds and hope the upside comes even though it's not there at the beginning of the year but I want to look at like what's the usual ADP difference between a first and second year back because every guy I look at I feel like they skyrocket the second year and if we can find the right value there might be a handful of guys we can target in those double digit rounds with an eye on 2022 so keep an eye out for that and again we'll be talking about that more later this week so he's Dwayne I'm Ian this has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast and until next time take care everybody 